God, I thought that tonight we'd get hold of the scriptures before it was too late. Otherwise, we might be here late. Okay, we're going to go on with um, a talk about regeneration. Now, regeneration or new birth, uh, or whatever you wish to call it, uh, or conversion, um, if you wish to call it such a term, is something that I need to know has happened to me. In other words, I need to have assurance in my heart and my life that I really have had a new birth. I need to know that God has worked something, not a partial thing, uh, because many people have a touch from Christ, but a real genuine work of new birth or regeneration has gone on in my life. If I know that, then I know that I'm one of those that God has set apart, one of the elect, I know that my eternal destiny is secure and safe, and then I know I must fulfill the responsibilities God has left me with. And obviously, uh, predestination always leaves man with tremendous responsibility to respond to God. And so it is that I want to talk about that regeneration and how I can know I'm regenerate. If I were to say to people, well, how do you know? Well, a lot of people would say, well, for this reason or that reason, or I believed, I accepted, I asked Jesus, I did this, I did that, I did the other. A lot of reasons are given, and yet, basically, a lot of people just aren't sure. Or they live in a false hope. I know a lot of people who are sure they're converted, and... In my understanding of Scripture and understanding of their natures, and seeing the way they are, I am sure of one thing. They're not converted. Uh, you say, well, the Scripture says the Lord knows those that are His. True. But also, He sets people in the church as shepherds, and a shepherd knows, needs to know who the sheep are. You can hardly shepherd sheep if they aren't sheep. Try shepherding a wolf. You will find that it won't really fit into the flock. And therefore, God in his grace and his mercy and love gives some indications as to who's who. Terrible thing if you find that you don't know who's who. Why, even in the world they publish books to tell you who's who. They tell you their titles, what they did, what they didn't do, and anyone of importance is in who's who. I will never make that glorious tome, thank God, uh, for it's only recording the subterfuges of the world and who wants to be there. But I need to be in the book of life. Now I need to know that my name is written in heaven and I need to know beyond any doubt that I'm truly converted. There are many people who are almost Christians. And those people are the hardest people to reach for Christ. The people who are almost converted, who believe all the right things, who have all the right doctrine, but in actuality haven't got the spirit and life. 
Now, to reach them is very difficult, for religion covers a facade which, which is hard often to pierce. And so my objective very often when I meet such people is to upset them. Uh, what you have to do is you have to shake the facade loose and pierce the thing that's really there. And Christ always went about and what he did was provocative. Now he provoked because pro provocation brings reaction. And the reaction manifests the spirit that's there. So that it's often easier to provoke a man or a woman and to find out what's really inside with the provocation. In fact, you will find that that is often the secret of finding out when pressure's on and the pressure's on you. Haven't you often found what you really are inside? When God suddenly lets a tremendous amount of pressure come on you, when circumstances seem to suddenly rise up as a flood, where this goes wrong and that goes wrong, and then you find out what's really inside. And it's not always a pleasant sight. And the Word of God hits like a hammer. And so there's times of hitting like a hammer. There's times of hammering home truth. And you know, a hammer, when applied, well, a hammer's for hammering. What you don't do with a hammer is put cotton wool on it. Now, I was always told by one minister who should have known better but didn't that what I needed to do was learn to kind of shield my sword in cotton wool. Now, I always thought that a sword was for cutting. But he suggested that I needed to learn how to apply cotton wool to the cutting edge so it didn't hurt as much. Now, I would think that would make an unclean wound. It's far better to be swift, sharp, and to the point, and if people don't like it, well, that's it. And so, the Word of God is unequivocal. There's no right of appeal against it. There's no argument. What God says is what it means. And So, what I want to do is spend a little while examining examining ourselves. Put ourselves under a microscope and say, all right, well, what's God's standard? Am I really converted? A safe thing to do, isn't it? I mean, if you're not, it's best to know. And if you are, why? What rich assurance you'll gain. Of course, there are those who might not want to know well, they're in an unenviable position. It's called cowardice, you know. We've got to know where we are. I always feel that you can only apply remedy to those that know they're sick. And so we want to look at it uh, in very, very close terms. If you turn with me uh, to that scripture that we went to last week in Matthew's Gospel and Chapter 5, uh, which is where really I want to spend the time. For here we have probably expressed 
in a wonderful way what a Christian really is. And it's there that we have the full expression of what a Christian's like. And so, you see, one thing you'll find is if you match up to this, then God's done something real. If you don't, well, it's not so well. And in verse 1 of chapter 5, we read these words. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savour, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out, and to be trodden under foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on an hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And so we get what is called uh, the Beatitudes. The Sermon on the Mount. Christ exemplifying what a true Christian spirit is. And it's that that I want to talk about. Firstly, I want you to notice that this is the standard for every single Christian. It's not a standard for those who are, as the wicked Pope canonizes people. Uh, let us say that there is no such thing as canonization. Uh, it's blasphemy. The Pope has no right to make saints. God makes saints by new birth. And you will find in Ephesians, in Colossians, Corinthians, that he always speaks of men who are called to be saints. Anyone who's called by God is called to be a saint. And the Pope canonizing you will probably prove you're more a devil than a saint. And you wouldn't want to be classified in that group. So uh, we're called to be saints. Now this qualification is for all people 
who are truly called of God. This is their nature. Every single Christian must measure up to this standard. And all Christians must manifest all of the characteristics here listed. In other words, when Christ says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, Blessed are they that mourn, Blessed are the meek, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the way which were persecuted. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you. Now, if you are truly a Christian and have the Spirit of Christ, every single one of those attributes will apply to you. And if they don't apply... You haven't really entered into the kingdom of heaven. If you don't know poverty of spirit, you can't have begun. Because Christ puts that as the first thing. And he didn't put it in some haphazard order. He listed it in the order. Now a man who doesn't know his poverty of spirit has never come near to salvation. Couldn't have done. That's why I fear for those who are gift-orientated. Because their whole attitude is they think they have a wealth. Therefore I know that the Spirit of Christ has not touched their hearts. For the ones that are blessed and have the kingdom of heaven as their home are those who are poor in spirit. And so you know that if you haven't realized the total poverty, the total depravity, the inward barrenness, the inability to do anything of yourself. If you haven't really come to a revelation of it and know your total inability and the porpoisy of your soul, you have never been converted. And that's the truth. For the first person who has the kingdom of heaven is he who's poor. Poor in spirit. Not poor in uh, money, but poor in spirit. And if I were to look round and say, well, are you really in the place where you realize your poverty? Have you really come to a revelation by God's spirit? Now, I don't mean are you one of these people that's ever so humble. God deliver us from them. You know, you meet people who are uh, tops in humility. They, you know, well, you know, I'm, I'm just a poor Christian. I, I don't understand all these things. I'm, you know, well, you know, I'm poor me. Woe is me. I'm. Now that's not poverty. That's patheticism, uh, or whatever you say. I mean, that's just horrible. It's something that appalls me. I meet people like that. Ugh, they're sick. They're sick in head and sick in heart. But those who know their poverty, then it says, those that mourn. Do you know a man who can't mourn over his soul and the state of his soul, 
and doesn't realize and grieve over the state of his heart and his total depravity and the failures and the wickedness of his own heart, if he has never got to the stage where he hates it and mourns for it and cries out, he can't be converted. Not possibly. Now, he might claim to be a Christian, but Conversion hasn't happened. And then it goes on, you know, the merciful. Uh, they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now there's not many who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And I could go on. Now what I want to do is uh, just run through the basic signs and then we'll go at a later date and we'll take each verse and express what it means exactly and go through it so that you can get a little light onto what it means. These are the characteristics of the true Spirit of Christ. Without this, you haven't the Spirit of Christ, you've got another spirit. Or you have, you just your old nature, your old unregenerate nature. You know that self-sufficient little you. The you that's Christianized, religiosityized, idolized and irked um, that kind of you and that's awful all Christians have all of the things Christ talks about then the third thing I want you to notice is none of the things that are referred to here none of them refer to a natural tendency now I want to make it clear that someone who's poor in spirit now there are people who have a natural tendency to be poor in spirit have you not met people uh, in the world who have a natural tendency their whole nature is ever so polite ever so humble ever so quiet spoken ever so meek ever so ever so ever so ever so now that is nothing to do with what we're talking about here now let me explain something to you what is here referred to are spiritual graces in a spirit realm they are not natural endowments if you naturally are meek that's out if you naturally are quiet spoken, it's not talking about that grace at all. In fact, that is totally contrary to the true grace of God. Your natural temperament isn't a spiritual gift. If you want to know what it is, it's an animal instinct that you were born with. It's a physical and natural endowment that you were born with. It has nothing to do with spirituality or Christianity. And it stinks. And so the first thing you must get into your heart and mind that all these graces that we're going to talk about are spiritual graces. They are not natural things. In fact, the hardest people to reach are the people that have got an abundance of so-called natural Christianity. You will find people in the world will say, well, that man, he doesn't believe the Bible, he doesn't go to church, he doesn't meet with God's people, he doesn't accept the truths of the gospel, but oh, how he lives 
according to the Christian standards. And people will boast, humanists will say, that they take the Bible standards as their touchstone. But what they have are the wicked, carnal imitations. For the truth can only come through Christ and His Spirit. The true nature and the true attributes come through a spirit power. The Holy Ghost. And anyone who has attributes that are natural, why they don't please God at all. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. And they're nothing to do with God or with Christ. And so immediately when we start examining these things, we need to be careful that we separate the natural from the spiritual. And we say, now just a minute. Don't look at this list and say, well, I've always been a meek person. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm meek. I, I never assert myself. In fact, I'm weak as well as meek. In fact, I'm rather weak and sickly meek. Now that is nothing to do with meekness. Meekness is total submission to the will of God. That's true meekness. It's being prepared to do what God says. That's meekness. It's nothing to do with a weak, wishy-washy, spineless character. God deliver us from them. Now, all these things, the natural tendencies, get it out of your heart and out of your head that you're a Christian or you're regenerate if you've got any of those natural tendencies in you. That's nothing to do with it. Nothing at all. In fact, you're better off if you're an abrasive, hard, callous, difficult person. Why? Because it's going to take the grace of God to show any meekness. Because it's going to take the grace of God to become a peacemaker. The only peace you'll have is when you've flawed your foe. And um, he says, I submit. I mean, you know, that is the type of nature that really you're better off with. Not that I recommend that type of nature, but at least you don't have a problem identifying what's of God and what isn't. For your natural tendencies would tend to show you that there's nothing of God there and you'd need the grace of God for anything to come that's real. Mind you, there are the polite people who you can get to rise. You've only got to keep prodding in certain areas and you will find that they will soon crumble. Why? Their natural graces give way. I've watched many, many people. I remember going one day to uh, a place. I always remember this man. He had white hair uh, uh, which was parted down the center and a mustache and he was a leader of a Christian group and he was declaiming and declaring how wonderful he was as a Christian and one or two things. And so what I did, uh, my own inimitable way, is I trod on one of two of his corns and he began, I felt, to go red. So I jumped on one or two of them harder and he began to go purple. And then I really leapt about on him and he burst forth and showed the spirit that he was of. Really did he let out a tirade. And unfortunately it was in front of all his people. 
But it just took a little while. You say, well, should you do that? Well, it at least lets you know what spirit's in there. And sometimes it's good to manifest the spirit. Do you know when people came to Christ, what always happened is they got angry, they got mad at him. And one of the things I, I find is nice to do is to find the people, find their sore spot. And then see, you know, when you jump on it, how they react. And then you find out a lot about what's really inside them. Don't you? It's when people press you in the hard, sore spot that you really find out what's in you, don't you? It's hard to keep that reaction back, isn't it? It's hard to swallow. Now, you see, if you have the Spirit of Christ, sweetness will come forth. Now you say, now you say, well, just a minute. Does that mean that if anything comes forth that shouldn't come forth, that I'm not saved? No, I'm not saying that. Fear not. I'm not implying that. What I'm saying is you haven't arrived. What I'm saying is that there is a degree of sanctification that you need. There is a work of grace that needs to go on in your life to deal with those things because your carnal nature is more in ascendancy than the Spirit of God. There are those who are not converted. Well, you know, they're not too difficult to prod forth. But here we want to look at the various things. Now all these attributes must be in you. And we go on. The fourth thing I want you to notice now don't forget, nothing to do with your natural temperament. The fourth thing I want you to notice is the utter difference between the Christian and the non-Christian. Now if you take the standard that Christ has here preached in the Beatitudes, and you take the standard of the world, the world believes in self-confidence, self-expression. the mastery of life. Have you ever met people who, who, well I went to a public school and I was trained that what you needed was a stiff upper lip. Uh, you never ever showed your feelings because your feelings were a weakness and a sign of weakness. So no matter what happened you had to put on a brave front and it was awful because what they practiced and tried to teach you was to do was to be a total hypocrite. Uh, and the whole idea of public school education seemed to me to be to teach you not to be what you were, but allow you to be what you were while you pretended to be something else. And so it never attempted to change you. It attempted to, to make you disguise what was really there. And the whole of the public school system seemed to be making a facade. Why, I recently met a man who was an accountant, and I think I told you. In the end, he said, said in such a rage, because I did go with him once or twice, I must confess. 
In a rage, he said to me, if you weren't standing in front of the fire, I'd hit you. So I walked straight over to where he was and said, go on. <laughs> I couldn't resist. Mind you, he was, I, I think I could have given him one or maybe two stone. Uh, you know, I was two stone heavier and I was a, about an inch and a half to two inches taller. Uh, you know, full of muscle and gripped me and he was a bit weedy. I'd have knocked him through the back end the next week if he'd gone on, but there you are, he didn't. But boy, he was a smoothie. He was a public school twit. And butter wouldn't melt in his mouth and he said everything with a frightfully, frightfully accent until in the end he got in such a rage. Got him on his sore spot. <sighs> and then out came, all his facade dropped. And he was so embarrassed after he'd done it because he knew he was found out. And then he was a little pufter, he was coward. Didn't even dare, he was in the guards. It's a sure sign of a pufter. And he just felt like a piece of puff cake. I mean, you know, weak little thing. And that's how they teach you to live in society, the world. You know, you have to have mastery of everything. God deliver us from the people who are ever so competent. You go and meet them in business and they exude an air. <clears throat> you feel you need to spray something in the air around them. Uh, and, and yet, you see, the true man of God, well, he's poor in spirit. Well, the Christian virtue, you're poor in spirit. You're, you're not trying to be the master. You're not trying to get rich. You're not trying to live up to something. There's no pretense. In fact, the man who's um, truly like that, he's just poor in spirit. His whole attitude's so different. You know, the man who's really born of God hungers and thirsts after righteousness. Now think, what really do you hunger and thirst after? The man of the world and his spirit, he hungers and thirsts after things. You know, there's that attitude, you want this, you want that, you want the other. People hunger and thirst after status. They want people to consider them to be something. They hunger and thirst after wealth. They're always worried about money. They hunger and thirst after the position. Even in the church you get people like that, always wanting to be preachers. Wish I could find one. Um, get out of this job. But there's a lot of people, they hunger and thirst after all sorts of things. But you see, it's hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Is that what's really in you? They hunger and thirst after status. If you met people like that, they are absolutely status conscious. Why this accountant I met, uh, his daughter uh, actually shares a dormitory bedroom with Princess someone or other. I can't remember which princess. It's the royal family. In actual fact, they pay £18,000 a year to go to that borstal. 
um, or whatever it is. And, and you know, for three kids, eighteen thousand pounds of fees. And you know that. I, I mean, what is it? That's a. That, it's not that kind of killjoy. We're not like that. We don't live in ivory castles, but. Our delights and our pleasures and our wants and our desires are so different, aren't they? And that's something that, how can you explain that to a person except someone who's born again, who's got the same appetites, desires, hunger and thirsting after righteousness? You can't explain to someone outside why it is. But it's so. If so be, God's spirit has really come in. That spirit gets hold of you. And there's a delight. I mean, who, who delighted in reading the Bible before God really got hold of them? You don't. You, there's a duty because you're told to have a quiet time every morning. And your quiet time is the frustration time when you look at your watch and try and get it over quick. You try <laughs> get onto something that interests you in the Bible so that it doesn't seem as long. And then you look at your watch and then you try and pray and then you try and get it over with quick. And then you try and pray, and then you try and read a bit more of your Bible. Now that shows there's something wrong. Should be a delight. A hungering and thirsting after righteousness. If so be, there's a true conversion. You know, the man of the world truly believes in himself. And I always fear when I meet a Christian who believes in himself... The true Christian, or the man who's got the Spirit of Christ, knows his own limitations, his inability, his total failings. The m true Christian just knows that he can't. God deliver the man who believes that he can or has any confidence in himself. Because that is a false belief. And then the fifth thing I want you to notice Is the Christian and non-Christian belong to entirely different realms? Now, when I say entirely different realms, not only do we not like the same things, but a non-Christian is of the carnal realm and of the world and the spirit of evil, and the true Christian is living in the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, whichever word you want to call it. Now, that means his life is on a spiritual plane, whereas the other's on a carnal plane. What influences the man of the world is the things about him, the natural things. What influences the man of the spirit is the heavenly things, the heavenly realities. And what I need to understand, Paul said, you know, in Colossians, set your mind on things that are above, not on things in the earth. Now, the carnal man naturally thinks earthward. That's why you have to watch out, say, if you take the doctrine of Hagen, for instance, and some of you might know of Hagen, he's a name-it-claim-it um, uh, specialist. Um, in other words, he looks for a Bible verse and then can tell you if you believe that Bible verse and claim it, you can drive a Cadillac. Uh, I could drive a Cadillac without believing that verse, but I wouldn't want to own one. Um, but he will tell you, you know, you just believe and believe God and trust God and you can have perfect health, perfect this, perfect that, perfect bank balance, providing you give him $100 first. Perfect anything. And he's a very wealthy man and does drive a white Cadillac, I believe. 
and said if he had to drive one that was a year old it showed he had lack of faith well I just suggest that he gets it serviced more regularly um, stupid man I mean the whole thing's appalling but when you consider the re realm that he moves in it then tells you something about his spirit just a minute what is all his doctrine concerned with things of heaven or things of earth where does all his belief and faith center on the heavenly or the earthly what is all the bent of his ministry heavenly or earthly and then you know what spirit is of as simple as that say so, well is it that simple well I think so you see the man who's born again is thinking heavenward the man who's unregenerate but has some glimmer of the principles of God is totally carnal orientated therefore he always wants things to work down here I don't believe for instance that the kingdom of heaven is on this earth I do not believe I'm, I believe it's among us don't get me wrong I think anyone who's a Christian is in the kingdom of heaven in other words they've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light as we shall see from scripture I'll show you in a second but the thing about it is this that I'm not looking to establish Christ's rule on earth because he isn't looking to establish his rule on earth what he's looking to do is establish his rule in my heart and your heart but he's not looking for a kingdom on this earth because he's going to burn it up he's going to roll up the heavens as a scroll and in his wrath and his anger he's going to burn the whole of creation because they destroyed and they crucified the son of God on this earth and trampled his blood into the dust and God's going to wreak his vengeance and this is a fallen creation that's what's going to happen and because that's going to happen I, I don't think there's any point, uh, point or purpose in Christ setting up his kingdom here. Now it's going to set it up on a new earth with a new heaven. You find that in uh, Second Epistle of Peter. I don't know if I... Yes, look, look with me in, if you're still in Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3. let's look uh, verse 10 let's take verse 10 but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat the earth also and all the works that are therein shall be burned up seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Now look, this is going to burn. So what's the purpose in putting your life into it? It's all going to dissolve. So why worry? 
obviously you don't want to live in a barn you need a home to live in and you keep it reasonable and clean but I, I mean you don't want gold plated bath do you some have them you don't want fancy work you know people have it don't they even on their toilets gold engravings suppose that's because they're flush with a lot of money but the, the, the thing is I mean what a twisted attitude my old boss down at Addressograph Multigraph he used to have electric gadgets he even had a electric gadget there but the, the thing is electric gadgets you know all over the house and he'd live for anything now there are gadgets that are useful and there are gadgets that are gadgets and I can never see the purpose in this fellow he used to go out and I mean he had a whacking great two manual organ you know it had two or three I think it was in his living room now it was so big if you played the thing you'd burst people's eardrums I would think and he couldn't play it anyway but it was a gadget that was cheap so he bought it because he could afford it and all around his house he had things that you didn't need but he had because he had nothing else to do but buy gadgets and I felt what a pathetic creature his whole life was built on this earth now it's all going to burn up so who's it's it going to be in the fire what's it going to be worth gone in seconds and some people are going to grieve over their engraved toilet seat. They're going to grieve over their bath that has gone into molten mess. They're going to grieve over their house that's cremated in a second. I won't. It's gone, you know. <laughs> it's only a temporary abode. And that's it. Mind you, I'll be upset about my books. But then I'll meet the authors. So, so who worries about that? Uh, I can meet the authors who wrote them then. But they, the thing is, people, they have attitudes that are so wrong. They live for it. They live for things. Uh, and I'm sure you've met people like it. There's some people who clean their houses every day. They clean their houses. They clean every bit of dust off, polish them and they live for it I mean how awful what, what a meager life and existence God deliver us from that there's other people who keep it like a pigsty you think they were pigs the way they live that's terrible too but ugh, you know there's got to be a balance in it all but Paul Peter here says seeing then that these things shall be dissolved what manner of persons ought you to be well how ought you to be Verse 13, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul according to the wisdom given unto him hath written unto you as also in all the epistles speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to be understood which they that are unlearned and unstable rest 
as they do also other scriptures to their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace, and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, to him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Now, if you know these things, what manner of persons ought you to be? If the Spirit of Christ is really in you, and you've stopped living for this world, and you've stopped worrying about the things of this earth, and you've stopped worrying about your reputation, and you've stopped worried about the future, and you've stopped worried about your house, your home, and everything, and you say, now just a minute, I'm living to be holy. I'm living for the new heaven and the new earth, where I'm going to have an abode. And everything that I do here is going to help my position in that new heaven and new earth. And if you live to be one of those who shares in righteousness, I mean, a person committed to the church and committed to the work of God and committed to seeing the work of God established and prospering and thriving and praying for it and seeking God and reading the word and sharing the word and being diligent to make his calling and election sure. Now that type of person, I'd say, has the spirit of Christ. But how many really put that first? Only those that put it first and have that attitude. What manner of persons ought you to be, Peter said, if you really believe it? If you really believe these things are all going to burn up and all the things you're building on this earth are useless, what manner of person ought you to be? Shouldn't you devote some time to the things of God and to the work of God? Shouldn't you devote your energies to things that are going to bring eternal life and hope? And reality to people? What manner of persons ought you to be? If you know these things. And that's all part of the truth that Christ proclaimed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They're the blessed people. The people who realize that there's nothing in this world they want. They're not rich in the things of this world. They're poor. They're meek. They're not seeking to establish anything. They know that it's all going to burn anyway. They're seeking just to go God's way, to fulfill his will. They're the blessed ones. The others haven't the spirit of Christ. Or if they have the spirit of Christ, they've gone into carnality. And that's an awful thing. If you look with me in Matthew 12, you'll find it's expressed there as well. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12. Uh, verse uh, 28. You know the kingdom of heaven is the sphere where Christ reigns and rules. And he says this in verse 28. They said he was, uh, 
You know when they said you do it by the uh, the Beelzebub, and he said, "If I by Beelzebub in verse twenty-seven cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you." Christ was saying, "Look, the kingdom of God is come in me, and it's in the authority when Christ rules in your heart and life." then the kingdom of God has come to you. When Christ is sovereign and Lord of lords, and you can truly confess him of Lord in your life in every area, then the kingdom of God's come to you. When the enemy and your unregenerate nature is dealt with by Christ, then the kingdom of God has arrived in your heart. He said, if I cast out devils by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God's come to you. And the truth of the matter is the kingdom of God has got to be established in my heart and life. There is no kingdom, as is erroneously portrayed by other people, which is going to be established on this earth. I do not believe, and I will not believe, and I cannot believe that Israel, you know, Moshe, well, I don't know who it is now, um, uh, Begin, uh, Begin, Begin? Begging? Begging. Begging, begging. Is in any sense going to establish the kingdom of God in Israel? I do not believe in, in a dispersion, dispersion, or in whatever it is. I, I, I don't believe in a gathering together and the temple being built again like Sparks, the, uh, well, who lives under his own Sparks, has prophesied. Or all these other men have prophesied. I don't believe in it. I don't believe that there's going to come a day when Christ is going to sit in Jerusalem, in, in, down in um, Jerusalem in Israel. Uh, he's going to sit there and rule with a rod of iron from there. I believe there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And I think that's where he's going to establish his kingdom. I cannot believe that he's going to establish his kingdom on this earth. I don't believe it. Because... He's not going to come back to this earth. He's going to appear in the clouds and we're going to be caught up to meet him in the air. But then there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth after the tribulation and that's it. I'm going to be there. Because I believe it, I will be. And that's it. And what manner of persons ought you to be if you believe these things? But you see, there's so many people and this is why Christ in Matthew's Gospel... Now, you, you want to note this. In Matthew's Gospel... Throughout that gospel, it uses the term kingdom of heaven. Now, that is because Matthew's gospel was written primarily to the Jews. Not exclusively, but primarily to the Jews. And the reason that it uses the kingdom of heaven is because the Jews always had this feeling that the kingdom of God was going to be established in Jerusalem with the Messiah coming to rule on earth. And therefore, Matthew emphasized right throughout the whole of the Gospel of Matthew that the kingdom is a heavenly kingdom, a spiritual kingdom, not a natural kingdom. Christ's kingdom is a spiritual realm. It's not a natural, carnal realm. And so right throughout Matthew's Gospel, you'll find he only uses the words kingdom of heaven. Never uses kingdom of God, very rarely. I think in about six places. The rest of the time it's all kingdom of heaven. 
Now the reason for that is the emphasis to the Jews needed to be, look here, you expect, and in fact the apostles said, Master, will you at this time restore the kingdom? Do you remember? In Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1. They said, are you going to restore the kingdom at this time? And they were Jewish, and they were looking for a kingdom to be established on the earth. In fact, the Jews came and they took Jesus and when he was on a donkey, they strewn palms uh, and their garments in his way and they said, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. They led him into Jerusalem. They thought he was going to be an earthly king. And they wanted to take him and make him king. But you see, Christ turned round to Peter and he said, look, my kingdom is not of this world. Now, look, we look for a heavenly kingdom and our whole attitude, disposition and heart must be for the heavenly. Now, if so be, you're truly regenerate, that is how your whole inside thinks. I don't expect Christ to come and take over and convert the masses. I don't expect it. Because he's not going to. I don't think there's going to be a sudden revolution in this country and everyone's going to follow Jesus Christ. They won't. I don't think they're going to bow at his feet. They won't. And he's not coming to establish his kingdom throughout the country. He's coming to establish his kingdom in the hearts of men and women where he's deigned to put his name. And they will be a remnant and they will be people who have turned to him with all their hearts. So if you know these things, what manner of persons ought you to be? Said Peter. Somehow you're a different person. Now if you're truly regenerate, then these things just come as good news to you. Think, well, praise God for that. And if you're truly regenerate, and you read the Beatitudes in chapter 5, and you look at them, what happens is very indicative of the spirit that's in you. Now I want to give you a little acid test. You know when I was at school, they always told me how to test uh, acid and alkali. You've got a bit of litmus paper. You stuck it in, and I can never remember, it turned from blue to pink or pink to blue, and I don't know which was which. Anyway, I always blew my experiments. I could never get it right. Uh, I could never remember which way it went, but I always knew it changed one way or the other. I'm sure you all did it. Very useful. I don't know what for, though. But when you look at the Beatitudes, one thing consider. This. How do you react to what's written here? How do you react? inside do you find what Christ says about being poor in spirit mourning being meek hungering and thirsting after righteousness merciful pure in heart peacemakers uh, persecuted reviled hated do you find that a joy or do you find the sayings of Christ do you find them harsh do you find them hard do you find some of the ways Christ treated people hard? Do you find some of the things that are said go against the grain? Do they depict a character that you don't want to be? Do they depict characteristics you don't want? 
Is there something in you that rebels against some of the teachings of God? If it is, you're not regenerate. If there's something in you that loathes that type of teaching, then there's something grossly wrong in your spirit. Now understand this. I'm not saying necessarily that you've attained to full stature in these things. I'm not saying that some of you won't have fights. But if your whole demeanor and your, your inside revolts against it, there's something awfully wrong with the set of your spirit. Now, if your spirit is to mourn for your failings, if your spirit is to see the poverty and inability, if your spirit is to say, oh God, that's what I want to be like. If your heart is to cry out and say, Oh God, that's what I want. I want to be like that. I want to have that embodied in my life and my heart. Then God has really brought life to you. And it depends on the thrust of what you really want and seek after and live for. That shows. The man who really doesn't go after Christ and isn't really brought into life, somehow those things are abhorrent to him seems that Jesus was a bit hard and, you know, callous. And the Old Testament, I always remember someone turning round to us. Uh, Poor Lash, she turned round to my wife and I. We were sitting there talking to her, and she was been coming to the church quite a time. We hadn't really got to know her very well. And she was sitting in our lounge over in Bowles Drive one day, and she was talking to us, and we, we asked her something. And she suddenly said, you know, she said, I really do love Jesus, but I hate God. And I, I looked. And, and, and she, you see, saw God of the Old Testament and Christ of the New as two totally different people. She thought God was severe and hard and harsh and judgmental and awful and wicked. But Jesus was a, a lovely man. And she'd never, when we told her that Jesus was God, she was quite shocked. <laughs> and she'd been going to church for years before we ever met her. Poor girl. What a shame. And there are a lot of people like that who have hard thoughts about God. But if so be Christ has really made you regenerate and light has really come to your soul, then somehow you don't have those feelings. At least I don't. And I assume that anyone who's truly regenerate doesn't. Somehow your your attitude, you know God's righteous, God's holy, God's fair. God is God. And your whole heart and your whole demeanor and your whole life accepts the ways of God. If so be, you're regenerate. Now really the touch is to ask, what's your ambition and desire? Are you looking to be a citizen of the heavenly kingdom? Is your whole life set for the heavenly realm? Or are you living for this earth? What manner of people ought you to be if these things are so? If you really believe them, said Peter. Are you just living for that time when there's a new heaven and a new earth and old things have passed away? Do you give your heart, your life, your being to do the will of God, to see the will of God accomplished on the earth, to see the work of God established, or are you living for yourself? And that really is the touchstone of who and what you are. Examine yourself and see whether you be in the faith. 
Examine your heart and say, well, what way am I really going? What's my motivation? What's my life? What's really the spirit that was working in me? Can I say I'm blessed because I'm poor in spirit? Do I really mourn for the failures, for the sin that so easily besets me? Do I mourn for the fact that I fall so far short of what Christ desires? Or am I one of those that considers myself rich? Am I meek? Peacemaker? Do men revile me? Or am I so part of the world they wouldn't know I was a Christian if I didn't tell them? What's really inside? That shows you. May God begin to bring honesty. For surely, you can only learn your poverty of spirit when you become honest with yourself. Surely you only learn your inward depravity when honesty comes and you begin to cry out to God. What ticks inside? What's really making the thing go? What works in you? That's the touchstone. That's the test. That every man, said Paul, examine himself, whether he be in the faith. Jesus' words are so simple, so clear. Either it's true for you or it isn't. Either you're in or you're out. The trouble is that what gospel preachers have done all around the world is they've tried to make the church agree with the world instead of making the world see the only way into the church is by coming God's way. Man has popularized the gospel instead of letting people see that the cross is not a popular thing. If your spirit shuns the cross, your spirit shuns God, your spirit's unregenerate. If you won't go God's way and you won't yield and you won't deny self, you won't take up your cross, you aren't a Christian. You can't be. For the true Christian is someone that knows the poverty of spirit and poverty of heart and realizes the need. That's the person who's truly regenerate. And none of us get to regeneration until we've come there. Not that God hasn't worked in the life. Not that God doesn't show things. Not that God doesn't bless. Not that God isn't merciful. But that's greatly different from coming into the true life and love of God. And that's the terrible thing about it. God does so much for so many. And yet one, one thing they don't distinguish is the nature change. That's a ways down the road becoming partaker of the divine nature that's what a Christian is a person who knows that he's in the kingdom of heaven because he's become poor in spirit he's mourned, he's wept he's sought his cry he's yielded he's learnt to obey one thing passes on to another men hate and revile him in this world and yet is truly God's, despised and rejected. That's really what it's all about. Is that the spirit that operates in you?
examine yourself whether you be in the faith man turned around to Paul he said Paul thou almost persuadest me to be a Christian there was no regeneration no nature change may God begin to examine all our hearts may we examine them ourselves may we become honest may we be those that say oh God my desire is to be like Christ to be like Jesus to have that spirit to know my great need of thee let's pray Father Thou knowest our hearts How often Lord we've sought How many things we've believed How often we've strayed And yet O oh Lord Thou dost have patience Lord Jesus Lord cause each one to examine the heart for if those desires after thee are truly there if there's a yearning not as though we'd already attained either were made perfect but if there's that said of the spirit and yearning after thee then Lord we thank thee that life has come that light and salvation has come but oh God if still we find that the spirit within us isn't that real spirit that seeks for the heavenly realm deliver us from the earthly Lord let us see our poverty let us mourn for our inability let our hearts and our lives begin to respond to thee. Lord Jesus, your words are so simple, yet so profound. Lord, your words, somehow they take hold of the heart. Somehow inside we discover so often that things aren't the way they should be but Lord we need to know we're thine we need to know that thy kingdom has come to our hearts we need to know even as we live on this earth that we can live in a heavenly realm have a conversation and manner of life in heaven Lord Jesus, in your mercy and your love and your grace, open our hearts, open our ears, open our eyes to see our great need of thee. Lord, let there come an understanding. 
deep within. But we must be like thee. The expression of the Sermon on the Mount must be the expression of what we are. We must be like that. Oh Jesus, Lord, by your Spirit, speak in the depths of each heart and life. Till there comes a cry, all oh, to be like thee. Oh, to be like the blessed Redeemer. Oh, to have that spirit of nature, that longing within. To have within the being a great yearning, a hungering and thirsting after righteousness, a longing to yield our all to thee. To have a different spirit from the spirit of the world. Different appetites. Somehow inside so different. Because you've worked work of grace. Lord strip off the religious facades. Strip off oh God. Those natural things that thy spiritual graces might be seen. Let there come a sweet life, a sweet spirit rising from the depths of the soul, showing forth thy life. Oh, to be like thee. Lord, let it become the cry of each heart. Lord, what manner of persons ought we to be, thou hast said. How easily we forget. How easily we forget that all this world will pass away, its pomp, its toys, will all burn up. And what will be left will be those that shine in thine image, who show forth thy light. Oh, glory at thy coming. Lord, turn us to we like that. Change our hearts. Change our inward star. Lord, have mercy. In your grace, change the inward being.